Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another episode of the Sixty Cents Podcast. I'm your host, Lucas Johnson, with my co-host here and site expert, Christopher Klein. Chris, how are we doing tonight? I'm doing about it, uh, you know, as well as you can, given the circumstances. How are you? Doing good. We're recording on the night of Mother's Day. Hopefully you uh, made sure your mother got something nice for Mother's Day. I made sure I sent my mom a bouquet and I made sure my wife got what she wanted and she just wanted a very long nap today because she's That's a hard fair. So, you know, I gave, made sure she got a long nap and she got, she wanted some pizza. So that's what we did today. Nice. Yeah, no, we, we made dinner. My mom got a new grill from my dad, which was really nice. And we cooked out on it. So it was a good day in our household. And I think we're ready to jump into some basketball talk here. Yeah, man. Yeah. So we're going to cover two major articles we both recently just wrote. Chris, you did a big board, uh, the second big board for this draft, and then I did a ranking of all the first-round picks in the past 10 years. So they were both massive projects. I Mine was a month in the making, partially just because of I, I, you know, time management, but also it was a lot. It was a lot to write mm-hmm. and doing some research on some of the older picks. And then, so, but before we get into the rankings, we're going to do the big board first. Before that, I think we need to talk a little bit about the Sixers' loss in their uh, front office in terms of Mark Eversley leaving to become the general manager of the Chicago Bulls. So Eversley was in charge of scouting and personnel before he left, as well as just doing odds and ends for Elton, the general manager, Elton Brand. So I think in terms of, and I know they have, I think, his name is Vince Rosman. He's going to be in charge of the draft moving forward. But it's going to be interesting without Eversley because Eversley has been a part of the Sixers draft since he joined the franchise, you know, making some big decisions since uh, the Colangelo hire. And, uh, you know, obviously we can give him grief about drafting Markel Fultz, but I don't think anybody expected Fultz's shooting motion and shoulder to mess up the way that it did or just, you know, the all the plethora of question marks around Fultz. But, Outside of Fultz, Eversley's had a pretty good track record. I think we can say probably the only bad pick that Eversley's you know, been a part of in some form or fashion outside of the Fultz would probably be the Timothy Luau Cabrera pick. And he's still even a rotation player for the Brooklyn Nets right now. So no doubt a big part of their rotation. But you know, he's hit on prospects like Jake Milton. Uh, Mario Shayok looks like to be a solid pickup. You know, and then you got obviously Fulcon Corkmus has finally come into his own. Jonah Bolden, you know, Jonah Bolden had this tools. I just don't know if mentally it was just, it didn't come together for him for one reason or another. But I think Eversley's had a decent track record here in Philly. And it will be interesting to see how Brand and the rest of the front office, you know, especially with Vince Rosman now in charge of the draft process moving forward, 
at least temporarily seems to be the case, according to Kyle Newbick of Philly Voice. We'll see what happens there. Will you, what, do you have any thoughts on it, Chris? Yeah, I don't have a ton. Obviously, it, it is a significant loss just because of his status in the organization and the fact that we're approaching the NBA draft at, at some pace. Obviously, we don't know when it's going to happen, but this is about the time of year where teams are going to really start diving into that stuff. And judging from recent comments from Elton, it doesn't seem like the Sixers are really going to change strategy a lot. Defense still seems to be the number one priority, though I'm not sure it really should be. But it will be interesting to see if anything does change philosophically for them with Eversley out of the front office. Yeah, so you talk about Elton's uh, recent comments and, you know, that kind of, he said he wanted versatile defensive players. You know, he wouldn't mind adding shooting. But I didn't really, you know what surprised me, and I think we both agree this because we both wrote separate articles about this, about how the point guard position is something that the team desperately needs to look at outside of shooting. You know, preferably a point guard that can shoot. So, you know, I think it's interesting that that's still not a high priority for Brand. And, it, and tell me if I'm wrong, but... It kind of feels like Brand's trying to rebuild this team, like like you know how teams played in the early 2000s when he was in his heyday, where defense was a the premium there. And I'm not saying the defense isn't a premium now, but you know you need to have defensive players that can also contribute to offense. Now it's not like you can have just defensive specialists. And you know it, it's kind of like what happened with Allen Iverson. Granted, you know we have Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, but. Allen Iverson, outside of Aaron McKee during that title run, didn't really have much help offensively. So I, mm. I, I worry that Brand's, you know, so focused on building a defensive juggernaut that the issues with the spacing here, and I I don't even know if, he, if he's, I don't think he'll publicly admit it, but it's kind of hard to know if whether he even realizes that the offense is so bad if he's still focused on getting defensive players. Yeah, it's, I definitely, I definitely think it's fair to question his team building vision at this point. I think Al Horford is the obvious red flag there. Just, I know we all talked ourselves into it. I did myself. I'm guilty of it. But in hindsight, even though we could not have predicted such a significant downturn from him this season, the fit just really doesn't make sense given the fact that Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons are on the roster. They're on long term deals. They're really the core of this team. And the Sixers have like done an impressive job of doing everything they can not to build around those two, and it's just been really frustrating. Uh, the Sixers haven't like put any emphasis on the point guard position at all. Howell Neto and Trey Burke were the two coming into this season behind Ben, and that's just not really, you know, an impressive, an impressive guard rotation. Um, so I agree with you. I think they should look for a point guard. I don't think they should try to double up on the Zaire Matisse types on the wing, especially. I think both those guys were solid value picks. Matisse is obviously going to be a really special player, but at some point you have to have some dynamism on offense, and you need a point guard who can kind of help boost the second unit. We'll see. I I hope they do change it up a bit this year, but I'm not going to get my hopes up. Yeah, and you bring up a good point. You need a point guard. Most teams that have won won a championship, have had, you know, a playmate, somebody in the second unit that can create for themselves or for others. The Golden State Warriors had Andre Iguodala. Uh, last team that I re- that I can't remember having a legit, like, threat off the bench besides, like, spot-up shooters was the Miami Heat when LeBron James was on it. Like, I can't remember anybody in the second unit that was a threat to create or to create for others. So... And they the have Sixers LeBron. needs, yeah, they had LeBron and they had D Wade, so they could stagger those guys. So you know, it's like we need a point guard. I I don't know if we, I don't think we agree on which point guard would be the best for the Sixers. And I think we can kind of talk about this when we look at this big board. But I looked at your big board here, Chris, and there's a few takeaways that I want to look at it. I'm gonna go real quickly through this, um, and then as Lucas said, we're gonna we're gonna stop and uh, talk about some of the guys who are more important. Um, at number 30, I have Isaiah Stewart, the big man out of Washington. Number 20, I have Daniel Oturo, the big man out of Minnesota. 
Number 28 is Cassius Stanley, the wing from Duke. Number 27 is Trey Jones, the guard out of Duke. Number 26 is Devon Dotson, the guard out of Kansas. Number 25 is Killian Tilly, the big out of Gonzaga. Number 24 is Theo Maladon, the guard from France. Number 23 is Nico Mignon, the guard from Arizona. Number 22 is Precious Achua, the big from Memphis. Number 21 is Jalen Smith, the big out of Maryland. Number 20 is Tyrell Terry, the guard from Stanford. Number 19 is Leandro Balmero, the wing from Barcelona. 18 is Josh Green, the wing from Arizona. 17 is RJ Hampton, who played in New Zealand this past season. Number 16 is Sadiq Bay, the wing from Villanova. 15 is Patrick Williams, the wing from Florida State. 14 is Kira Lewis Jr., the guard out of Alabama. Number 13 is Aaron Neesmith, the wing from Vanderbilt. Number 12 is James Wiseman, the big out of Memphis. 11 is Obi Topin, the big from Dayton. Number 10 is Tyrese Maxey, the guard out of Kentucky. Number 9 is Onyeka Okongwu, the big out of USC. Number 8 is Tyrese Halliburton, the guard from Iowa State. Number 7 is Isaac Okoro, the wing from Auburn. Number 6 is Devin Vassell, the wing from Florida State. Five is Cole Anthony, the guard out of North Carolina. Four is Denny Avdija, the wing from Maccabi, Tel Aviv. Number three is Anthony Edwards, out of UGA. Number two is Killian Hayes, the guard from France. And number one is Lamella Ball, who I think everyone is familiar with. So that's the list. Lucas is going to come in and, and nitpick some of my decisions here. Just as a statement of, just as a, you know, a disclaimer. This is my first big board since before the season, so it was really more of me starting with a fresh slate than me making tweaks to anything prior. There's still a lot of guys I need to dive deeper into, a lot of prospects who will probably pop up in future iterations of this board. This is definitely not a final product. We have a lot of time between now and the draft, so I just want to throw that out there. This is very much tentative still, but those are my 30 guys. Lucas, take it away. Tell me what I did wrong, what I did right. Have at it. So I'm going to start with 30 here because I, I I read the first three words and it made me cringe and it y- used to not make me cringe, but you the first three words for Isaiah Stewart's you know description here is the quote unquote traditional center. Now I love traditional back to the back basket centers. That's how I grew up playing. That's how I still play because I'm not athletic anymore and. I, that's the only skill I know I can get a lot of, especially younger guys that don't know how to play post defense to actually, you know, to score on them. But, you know, in today's NBA, you say traditional center and it's automatically a negative. You think of players like Jaleel uh, uh, Okafor, obviously, for Sixers fans, brings back terrible memories. And so so that that was almost a cringeworthy thing just when I when I saw it. It almost made my eye twitch. I'm not going to lie, but. You know, I read your description about him. I haven't, and it's a disclaimer for anybody, I have not, me personally, I have not done too much draft research. So I am actually learning with you guys. I, I am not a huge draft person. I usually do most of my draft research uh, leading up to the draft during March Madness, but we don't have that. So it's been kind of a weird process for me this year. That being said, you, you say that, you know, you have some good things here and some bad things about Stewart. And I guess the good things, basically, you know, he's a hulking center, solid post player, both offensively and defensively. Outside of the post, not so solid, especially on the defensive end. So I guess when I read this description, the NBA player that I think of in, in my head here is actually Jonas Valanciunas of the Memphis Grizzlies. Valanciunas, if he was if he was in the NBA in the 2010, you know 2000s, probably an all-star, to be completely honest. He, you know, but he's in an NBA where they don't value his skill set, and defensively, he's a little bit of a liability. So I, in that regard, that's how I, based off of your description, and yet again, I haven't done too much research on Stewart, so I can't rightfully say, but it seems to me that's that's kind of the player that you haven't pegged at there. Yeah, I think that's definitely a fair lane to put Stewart in. 
uh, I should probably apologize to him for breaking out the whole traditional center label because that might be a little bit unfair. And I know a lot of people have strong reactions to that term. As you said, he does a lot of things that are going to make him potentially stick in the league. He, he can shoot. He's getting better as a shooter. That's obviously a, a big one uh, nowadays. My, my main question is just how versatile he is on defense. I think that's going to determine his ceiling and just how big his role can be. But he's a super efficient finisher inside, obviously a really strong frame. He can protect the rim. So he has all the base skills to, to at the very least, be a solid rotational backup center. So I, I think he's a solid value. You know, in the first round, that's probably the range most teams seem to have him have him in, just based on what I've read. I know he's a lot higher on a lot of other boards, so I think he's going to be fine. I don't think he's at risk, you know, in the same vein as someone like Julio Okafor, who we all know of, of just not fitting in the league. I think he's in a much better place than that. But it's just an interesting philosophical debate to bring up whenever you throw that term around. So I figured, why not? <laughs> Fair enough, fair enough. So I'm going to jump to the 27th player in your in your big board here, and that's Trey Jones. I'm a huge Trey Jones fan, and okay, I know that he's limited. He's not a super athlete, he, and and you say it in here, he's a one position defender. Although he's a really good defender at that position, so I like that, you know. But at the same time, you know, and he's not a terrible. Is he a lead shooter? No, no, no. He's not a lead shooter, but he's a solid shooter. You know, he's he's passable. And I think he might end up being a steal in the first round. I think he's one of those he, – he's a sophomore, I believe, so he's already – so he has a little bit more, you know, maturity than some of these, you know, freshmen coming in. And then on top of that, I think he – you know, he's a late first-round projection. I like – I honestly like him as, this, as a preferred place for the Sixers. And I think he fits the type of profile that Elton Brand's looking for. A you know more mature player that's a good defensively, although he's not versatile, he's still good defensively, and that he can come mm-hmm. in and he can contribute right. Away. I feel like he can be a second unit point guard his rookie season, not have too many hiccups. Maybe not as uh, maybe not an efficient scorer right away, but you know he can lead a second unit. And I I, I think he fits Elton Brand the based off of what we've seen with Brand. He kind of fits that type of mold that Brand likes, and I think he could be a player that the Sixers target, you know, either with their late first-round pick or if he drops in the early second round, assuming no mm-hmm. trades happen. For sure. I, I, you hit on a lot of the points I was going to touch on. I think he's definitely someone to watch um, if the Sixers keep their first-round pick, if that conveys in the early or mid-20s, I think he's definitely a name to have on the radar because, like you said, he's a really solid defender at the point guard spot. He tries hard. He's really smart. He checks a lot of boxes that the Sixers do seem to value. He has some extra experience, as you said. He makes a lot of smart winning plays. He's probably going to be a really good backup point guard in the league, even if his ceiling isn't as high as some of the other guys on this list. And that feels pretty on brand for the Sixers to take a guy who they think can contribute who they know can defend, who can guard, to quote Brett Brown. And, yeah, he's definitely a name to watch um, in Philadelphia. Yeah, I kind of see him as, like, one of those journeyman uh, point guards that can either start or start for a bag team or be a really good six-man off the bench. Kind of like, obviously not the same vein of player, but kind of like Ramon Sessions was for the majority of his career. That's kind of how I view Jones is like one of those borderline starters or six man point guards. That's that's what I see his ceiling as. But I'm gonna actually jump to 23 and another point guard here. This is Nico Mignon. <laughs> and I, I believe his father played in the NBA too. And he you know he's a he's an Arizona point guard. So kind of following the KJ McConnell uh, you know guess there. And I've seen that he's been connected to the Sixers in some big boards. But I, I've looked at his stats. I'm not thrilled about his shooting percentages from the field or from the three-point line. He's a solid playmaker, but, you know, assist-wise, and he can still score a decent amount, but I'm worried about the shooting percentages. And you have in yours that, you know, his athleticism is the real big problem here. So can you explain a little bit more about him and where you think he fits and if you think he could fit on the six, this Sixers roster? Yeah, I think... 
Minion is really one of those guys who, who I'd like if I'm the Sixers at 22 or wherever they end up picking. I think he should be on their board. I don't know if he drops that far, but if he does, he should definitely be towards the top of that list just because he is a really skilled player. Like all, all the skills you want from the point guard position, he can shoot the three ball. He's a really smart passer, probably one of the three or four smartest passers in the draft. Uh, he's really a high IQ player who, who knows what he's doing. His his big limitation, as you said, though, is his athleticism. He's just way behind in that category. He doesn't have a ton of explosiveness. His first step isn't great. That's why his shooting percentages aren't too great. He doesn't finish well inside. He just doesn't have that burst, that extra gear he can turn to to uh, get around defenders and get inside the paint. So that that's a, one area of concern. I think if you're the Sixers, you can maybe look past that a bit with how much pressure Joe and Ben put on the defense. I think that might help Nico quite a bit. He can shoot. He can play off ball. He's really smart. He's going to move the ball. He's going to play within the system. So I think if you're the Sixers, you can maybe cover up some of, some of those more worrisome issues. Defensively, it's going to be an issue as well, but the Sixers, again, have really strong defensive personnel. So I, I do like his fit as someone Philadelphia should have on their radar. That's that's fair. And, you know, based off of what you told me here, he really does sound like cut from the same cloth as McConnell, only maybe not as good as a defender or not, but a better three-point shooter. So we'll see what happens there. So let me keep on going here. We're going to jump down to 21 Jalen Smith. I, like I said, I haven't watched any tape on any of these prospects, but from what the stats that I've seen from Jalen Smith, I like, he's a solid three point shooter. And I believe he's, he's a seven footer, right? Is he seven footer? Is he six foot 10 or 11? Yeah. He's, he's in that seven foot range. For sure. Okay. So yeah, he's a, he's a legit big, he averaged, you know, you have it here on, on his uh, description, 15 points, 15 and a half points, 10 and a half rebounds. Almost two and a half blocks per game. Shot 36% from deep. That kind of tells you all you need to know here. And I'm not sure. I'm not sure whether or not he's a uh, if his if he's like a elite athlete or not. But um, you seem to be a little bit worried about his overall frame if he is a true center. But outside of that, you don't seem to have any major issues with him. Mm-hmm. Besides just be refining his skills, obviously. So he seems to be somewhat of a project, but overall he seems like a solid prospect. And if the Sixers do trade Al Horford, and I expect both Kyle Quinn and Norval Pell to leave this offseason because they're both free agents, I think Pell will get more money and a bigger role somewhere else. And Kyle Quinn, bless his heart, he's been on two really deep teams that have that are too deep at center, and he needs to find a place that has a weak depth at center so that he can get some playing time because the guy deserves it. So, but if that happens, I think Jalen Smith would be a really good fit here. Yeah. I think Smith is kind of projected as a late first, early second round guy on a lot of boards. So he's someone the Sixers could maybe swoop in and take um, in the early thirties. If they, if they need a big, as you said, the stats are really good. He was one of the more productive two-way centers in, in college basketball this season. He had a really rough freshman year last year. He started this season pretty slowly, but he came around in a big way. He's always been kind of an intriguing prospect, so it's more him delivering on, on the hype that's been around for a while than him coming out of nowhere. He You know, he can block shots. He can shoot the three. He rebounds fairly well. Those are all important things. He's seven feet. He can move his feet. There's a lot to like there. It is just about him kind of bulking up his frame, something he has obviously worked on and something he will need to continue to work on. You know, if you're the Sixers and you need a big in the second round, he's probably one of the top guys I would I would be targeting. I think he's a really promising prospect. Most definitely. And then I'm going to jump only one down to the 20th, and you got Tyrell Terry. And I believe we talked about him before a recent podcast because I asked you, if there was somebody in the draft like Landry Shamit and you, and I believe you said Tyrell Terry is probably the closest player that we have in the draft that could mimic what Shamit did. And you described that in there and you even used the term sexy mechanics in the term in regards. So I, I, I'm sold on that just based off of that, that wording right there. Um, and then you also said besides him being undersized for a shooting guard, which, okay, that's, you know, we can work with that. 
you you see you you make it sound like he's you know still an active defender and can you know he has some ball handling skills like Shamit is willing to attack inside and you know mm-hmm. so it, it sounds like you know overall besides him having a frail his frame his you know height and frame you know 160 pounds you say it seems like he would be an ideal fit for the Sixers because he's a he's a shooting guard who can play make a little bit. And at the same time, he seems like he can, you know, you say in here that he's elite in every respect on the move, stand still, pull up. It seems like he's the type of guy that the Sixers really need. So do you think he might be one of the top, you know, targets for the Sixers? And do you think he'll be available for that? Uh, yeah, for sure. I think based on what I've read, he's kind of one of the guys that is has been rising up draft boards a lot. Um, teams weren't entirely sure that he was going to commit this season, but he seems, by all indications, to want to stay in the draft this year. So I think there's a fairly strong chance he's available in the early 20s. A lot of boards don't even have him in the first round yet. So, and yeah, he's probably going to be toward the top of my list in terms of Sixers guys. Obviously, elite shooters, Sixers need all the shooting they can get at this point. He does a lot off the move. He's someone who can work those DHOs with Ben and with Joe and with Al. So there's a lot to like there. He does have some point guard skills, as you mentioned. So he, he does a lot of really interesting things on offense that should make him a pretty easy fit at the next level. It's just 160 pounds is really light. He's really undersized, again, for someone who's not a true point guard. But with the Sixers, it doesn't matter as much because Ben can kind of help fill that gap. So... I do think he's definitely someone the Sixers should have their eyeballs on and someone who, if not at 22, may be there in the early 30s and should definitely be one of the top priorities for Elton Brand and company. That's fair. And then, so I'm going to jump to seven, and just based off of what I see here, and then I'm looking at his stats on Tankathon too. He's ranked 30th on their mock draft, by the way. They have him going to the Celtics. Gosh, I hope not. But, um, you know, just for background, he averaged 14 points, four rebounds, three assists, four rebounds for a guy that's 6'3 and 160 pounds. That's pretty good. I don't, you know, it's a, and then on top of that, he shot 40.8% from three-point line on 4.9 attempts. 4.9 attempts in college is a lot. Mm-hmm. So, I, I... Yeah, you know, I'm sold on him. He's one of my new favorite prospects now. So thank you for that, Chris. But I'm going to move on now to R.J. Hampton. And you have him ranked 17th on your list here. Now, and as you stated in the first sentence, you know, he was a top 10 prospect before this year. But injuries and just inconsistent play, it seems to be the issue with RJ, and now he's now he might be in range, striking range of the six. What, what are you? What are your thoughts on him? Yeah, I think just based on the inconsistency and the weirdness of this year's draft process, there's a chance he's in the Sixers range. I wouldn't bet money on it at this point. He probably still sticks somewhere in the teens, at least, but. As you mentioned, he was top 10 before the season. He's someone that a lot of guys were high on. He was top five for a lot of people, really. And I think at this point, it's just a matter of him kind of putting the pieces together. He has the tools. He's athletic. He's really shifty. He has some pull. He has a really nice pull-up game. There's a lot to like there um, from a point guard perspective. He's young. He has a lot of time to grow as well. So he, he's certainly not a finished product. But... As you said, injuries really dragged him down. He didn't get much of a chance to, to showcase his full arsenal of talent in the NBL this year. He, his numbers were not great either. Professional competition is always harder than college competition. He, he, he gave himself a pretty big challenge in that respect, playing in Australia. But I, I think he just has a lot more to prove than some of the other guys on this list, which is why I bumped him down to 17. But if he's in the Sixers range, he's, he's definitely a project worth taking on. So I, I would not count him out by any respect. And it should be noted that according to Paul Herlock of NBCS Philly, he uh, felt like Bram was open to the idea of taking a project. So let's keep that in mind. But 
for somebody that's not necessarily a project, you have 16th year, you have, and correct me if I'm mispronouncing this, but Sadik Bay, and he is, for people that are local to Philly listening to our podcast, he's a Villanova player, obviously, and you have him as a uniquely versatile defender who slides perfectly into the NBA's coveted 3 and D mold. Gosh, that sounds like somebody Elden Brand would love. So, 3 and D kind of explains what he can do. Um, let me see if I can find his stats here real quick. But according to, uh, where did he rank on your last on your last mock draft? I believe he was uh, 16 to Minnesota. Okay, I'm trying to find him on Tankathon. But I cannot find him on Tankathon. So I can't find his stats. But can you give us a little bit more backstory on on our friend here, Mr. Bay? Yeah, as you mentioned, he he's definitely in the the Elton Brand range of guys who, who can defend versatile, which is a term that Brand likes to throw around. He's six eight, two sixteen, so a really solid frame, defends a lot of positions well. Not an elite athlete by any stretch, not super quick, but he, he can stretch out and defend guards as necessary. He can body up bigger guys. He can cover a lot of ground on that end. He shot 45% from deep this year, so that's obviously a positive. And he's more of a spot-up guy than maybe someone like Terry who can do more on the move, but you know, a 6'8 versatile defender who can shoot 40-plus percent from deep almost always has a place in the league. Uh, he's just and it's Villanova. Who a school with a very good track record when it comes to professional development. So there's a lot to like there. I don't think he's going to get to the Sixers. I think he's the kind of guy who's going to rise up a lot of draft boards he, by the time the, the draft rolls around. But if he's there, obviously he's something to keep an eye on. He is ranked 14th. So yeah, you and Tankathon were pretty close mm-hmm. on that. So yeah, there's so there seems to be some players that obviously fit the mold of Elton Brand here. But I'm going to go ahead and jump to one of your favorite guards in the draft, Kira Lewis Jr., guard out of Alabama. So I'm going to let you describe him because I know he's one of your favorites. Yeah, uh, Lewis is a guy who's been connected to the Sixers on, on more than one occasion when it comes to mock drafts. He was the guy I had Philly taking at 22 in my most recent mock. I'm becoming a little bit more concerned that he might not get to 22 just because he's one of the more well-rounded guards in this class. He was really productive this season. In terms of college resume, he probably has one of the better ones on the board just based on what he did this season. He's a really quick guy. He's probably the fastest player in the draft, and I think it's super cool for the Sixers to, to maybe stretch outside their comfort zone and draft someone who's super quick and shifty and can break down defenses like that. They need that. That's something that would benefit them a lot. It's just not the type of player they've they've traditionally targeted. But Lewis can get up and down the floor really quick. He's going to bolt inside a lot, score at the rim. There's a lot to like there. He needs to bulk up his frame defensively. It'll help him finish a lot at the rim as well if he can add some muscle. But uh, smart passer, willing passer, he can shoot the three ball and, and just – athletically he's a really special prospect so he's in my top 14 he may or may not be there at 22 or wherever the Sixers do or don't end up picking but if he is he's definitely going to be one of the top guys uh, personally that I would advocate for well the good news for for, I don't know if you guys see this as good news but you know there might be another trade because the Celtics have the 17th pick of the draft and if Sixers really like Lewis you know, they might make another draft, draft trade with uh, the Celtics where they give up, you know, probably the 22nd pick and one of those, uh, I guess the 34th pick would be the first second round pick that they could give up to move up that spot. And knowing, uh, you know, Danny Ainge, he probably would do that just to mess with the Sixers. Yeah. And obviously Elton isn't too attached to the concept of second round picks, so... I'm sure the Sixers would be equally willing to discuss that kind of trade. I'm I'm sure they would. So the next player I'm going to jump to, I'm going to jump to 12th year, is you have Jameis Wiseman 12th. 
Number yes. one prospect coming out of high school, played three games because he uh, at Memphis because he got suspended, but dominated in those three games. Seven foot one, athletic, mobile, can has a seven foot six wingspan and muscular frame. So why do you is it the lack of body of work that that has you have him so low, or why why do you have him so low? Yeah, I, I think it's really just a personal preference thing at this point. The lottery is really more of a crapshoot this year than it has been in recent years. We don't really have like a consensus one, two, three, four, five guy. It's really kind of going to come down to team needs, you know, what certain scouts prefer versus other ones. So there, there's going to be a lot of discrepancy between teams, I think, in, ter- in terms of the prospects that they value. We've seen that with Wiseman. I think I've read plenty of reports on him being well outside the top five for some teams, and then others like him as a potential number one pick. So he's kind of all over the place. I'm obviously on the lower end, but, I mean, physically, as you said, there's there's not much to not like. 7'1", 7'6", wingspan. He's pretty mobile. He, he should be able to defend in space relatively well if he works at it and he gets his fundamentals down. So he should be a, a good player, for sure. He's still obviously in my lottery, so by no means do I think he's going to flop. But as you said, we really just don't have a college resume to go on at this point. Two of the three games he played this year were essentially against nobodies, so there's really not much we can do with that information. But he's going to be good. I, I don't think I meant putting him at 12 as like an insult or as some super hot take that he's not going to be good. I think he's going to be a fine player. It's just... In terms of what I value, I don't think his skill set is something that I would I would take over the guys I have ahead of him. So you you say you don't mean to have Jamison Wiseman at twelfth as a hot take, but let's be real, who you have at eleventh is a hot take because you got Obi Toppin at eleven, the guy the the person who can, probably the biggest name to come out of Dayton since Steph Curry who is a projected top five pick in most mock drafts. I don't know where you have him in yours. I can't remember off the top of my head. But he's a projected top five in most mock drafts. So why do you have him at 11? Yeah, I, I told you this before this show. I'm really not super confident with Tuppen at 11. That's that's one where I, I kind of wish I had maybe put him, bumped him up a few spots. I'm just really not sold on his defense. He wasn't a bad defender at Dayton by any stretch, but he's not super mobile. He's a bit of a tweener on that end. And I just have some concerns over over what exactly, what position exactly he can, he can aptly defend and where he fits into certain schemes. But offensively, he does a ton. He can shoot. He can pass well. He can run the pick and roll, you know, as a role man, pick and pop, he, he does all sorts of things. He's a really talented player. And in a draft with a lot of unknowns, I think there's a lot of appeal in, in the reigning national player of the year, someone who has proven that he can put up big numbers and contribute in, in, in a super meaningful way at the college level. So there's a lot to like there. He, he might be bumping up, bumped up a few spots next time I, I release a big board. Uh, just because of that certainty with with his production, he's going to be a really good player. I, I don't have many doubts about it. So again, I, I didn't mean eleven as some insult to his talent. It's just a preference thing on what skills I value versus what skills I'm, I maybe don't value. But he, he should be a good player. That's fair. That's fair. But I, you know, I'm going to jump to seventh here, and and I've heard great things about Isaac Okoro and. From what I understand, he's probably one of the best defenders in the draft here, if not the best defender, and has a high ceiling for all on the offensive end too. Yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of Okoro. He does all the little things. He makes a lot of winning plays, and that's really you know he, I think he gets labeled as a glue guy a lot, and I think that's a fair term because he's not going to be the star player offensively. He's not a shooter. His jump shot is really his one major drawback, the one big concern as far as where exactly he fits in offensively. But he cuts really hard. He passes the ball. He's a smart player. He does everything he can to help things run as smoothly as they can. And defensively, he's probably the best wing in this draft. So, there's a lot to like. I think he's going to be a really solid role player, if nothing else, at the next level. And if you can get a sure thing 
solid two-way role player in the top 10, that's normally pretty solid value. So a lot to like with him. I have no doubts that he's going to find a way to contribute in the NBA. Most definitely. I think defensively alone, he'll probably be in the league for a good portion, a good stretch. But So I'm going to jump to five here, and I'm surprised you kind of have this player as high as you do because most people don't have him that high because he had problems with consistency this past year in college. But you have Cole Anthony guard out of North Carolina five. And if I don't, and we, we talked a little bit about this before the podcast, but I, you, you feel like if he's available late in the lottery, the Sixers should try to make a jump for him. So do you want to explain that a little bit more? Yeah. So reading ESPN's mock draft earlier today, I believe they had him at 13. So if he's in that late lottery range, He's someone I think the Sixers should certainly look to trade up for. You know, they have maybe an early 20, a pick in the early 20s and package one or two of their their second round picks. They have five of those. If they're going to sell them for cash, they might as well just use them to to invest in a a better asset. So, yeah, Anthony's top five for me. He was was top one for a lot of people before the season. Another guy who kind of got dragged down by injuries, um, among other things, this season. He shot 38% from the field, which is obviously a big red flag and definitely one you should heed as a warning. It's it's not a good number. It's a, a very ugly number. But he's a super dynamic shooter. I think he's going to figure it out. He just has a, a lot of talent as a scorer and as a playmaker. He's a good athlete. I think in the right setting with the right people around him, he's going to he's going to be a lot better than than his college numbers would maybe suggest and just again in a draft without a ton of top end talent and without a ton of sure things taking a swing on someone like anthony who could be a genuine leader in the future and a star caliber talent is something i'd i'd advocate for so he's top five for me and yeah if he's somewhere where the sixers can get him they should absolutely swing that trade he fills a ton of holes Again, as a point guard who can create off the dribble, put pressure on the rim in the half court, a lot of good stuff there. He's a versatile shooter. So, yeah, if, if the Sixers can get Cole Anthony, they absolutely should. I wrote an article recently that he's the best possible outcome within reason for the Sixers, and I will stand by that between hopefully from now until the draft. I don't plan on changing that opinion. So, yeah, I'm, I'm all in on Cole Anthony still. Yeah, I forgot that you wrote that, but you're right. You did write that. I read that. That was a good article, by the way. You guys should check it out after you're done listening to the podcast here. So there's only two more things, two more players I kind of want to discuss, and it's number four, Denny Ab. I'm not a huge fan. I think he's probably the most likely to be a bust in this draft. And you touch on it here is that his defense and his shooting are the two main things that he needs to work on. And obviously those are the two biggest valuable things in the NBA today. He is a qual- you say he's a quality playmaker at six foot eight, but who's he going to do? Okay. So my, my things are here at six, eight, but he lacks, you know, explosion, you know, athletic explosion. First step, he's not a good defender and he's not a shooter what is his role and i and i like i feel like he's from a skill standpoint i feel like he's probably one of the lottery picks that have the biggest chance to bust just based off the fact that he's not a if you're not an athlete you have to be able to shoot and if you can't shoot you have to be a high-end athlete that can defend he's neither he's just a quality playmaker at big a big point guard but not an athletic one or one the last player but, mm-hmm. like, you have to be really smart as a point guard if you can't shoot or defend. But, you know, maybe players like Michael Carter-Williams or maybe, well, Sean Livingston and Michael Carter-Williams are still two quality defenders even though they can't shoot. This guy, you know, based off of your profile, says he can't defend or shoot. So I'm I'm worried about that, Chris. And, I, you know, mm-hmm. can you can you help me not be worried about this? Yeah, I, I don't I don't think I meant to lay it out in a, a way that made him look as like a non-shooter. Like he can't shoot. He's not super consistent. His percentages have been kind of up and down throughout his young career. But you know he's he's a teenager who's playing real minutes for Maccabi Tel Aviv, which is impressive. That's a, a legit Euroleague squad. Anytime 
a teenager playing real minutes for a Euroleague team, there, there's something there that that's not easy to do. And again, he's six foot eight with legit point guard skills. That's a rare combination, even nowadays with players getting more versatile and expanding their skill sets more. He's really smart as a playmaker in the pick and roll. He can. I do think he can play off ball and survive. If you buy his shooting, is it going to be a big swing still here? I do personally buy his shooting and his mechanics. I think he's going to figure it out. I think he'll be at least a league average shooter. So if you don't believe that, then obviously there there is maybe you're not going to have him this high on the list. But I buy him as a shooter. I don't think he's a bad defender. He's not a bad athlete by any stretch. And and again, just six foot eight with point guard skills is a really tantalizing combination in any respect. I'm a big fan of his. I've been a big fan of his since day one. I believe he was either number one or number two um, before the season for me. So I've, I've been on the, the train uh, since fairly early on. But I, I can see where you would have maybe more concerns than I do. Most definitely. So I guess my last player here is LaMelo Ball. And I know LaMelo Ball has skill. Not denying that. Even though the jump shot looks a little weird like his brother's. Maybe not as broken as his brother's, but it's not it's not normal fluid motion. I guess, and, I, and I've said this on another podcast, too, but, but I think, honestly, he has a really, he also has a legit chance to bust, and it's not because of the skill set or even the broken shot. I, I'm worried about I'm worried about his drive, and I'm worried about his inner circle. And I've, like I said, I've said this on another podcast, but basically, I'm worried that his dad's going to be a negative influence on him, and I've watched the, his family's TV show on Facebook before. I know, shame on me. But um, <laughs> I got bored one time. Okay, D- don't don't judge me, Chris. <laughs> but um, you know, and he was and granted this is back in Lithuania, but he was playing and he was 16, 17, but he was playing video games almost all night, not being prepared for basketball games the next day. So I don't know. I'm a little worried but about care. How Brian. often have we seen Ben Simmons playing video games? Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. I'm just saying it's just, it, it, more or less the, the the inner circle I'm worried about more than the drive. Yeah, I, I don't know how much we can really factor LeVar into it at this point. He's It's such a strange situation, but I think we've seen with Lonzo, who has kind of separated himself from the situation, uh, that, that it's definitely possible for them to exist beyond LeVar. I think he's his own individual person. And I do think LeVar has taken a step back at this point. He's not who he was a few years ago when Lonzo was coming out of UCLA. I don't think it's really a comparable situation at this point. So it's not something I'm super worried about. Obviously, his pathway to being a potential number one pick was a strange one. You know, dropped out of high school, went to Lithuania, decommitted from UCLA. All that noise is kind of in the rearview mirror at this point. He did a lot of good things in Australia, again, against professional competition, really tough competition. It's a very physical league. It's tough to just come in there as a teenager and produce the way he did. So he has plenty of talent. And again, in a draft without a clear number one guy, without a Zion, without a Luka Doncic, who, again, I don't know how he did not go number one, but that that's a conversation for another day. Uh, but... Without a clear number one in this year's class, I think you have to take a swing on upside. And I'm a pretty firm believer that Lamelo has the most star qualities of anyone in this class. Obviously, he's a super smart player, has the court vision and the passing chops to just make an impact right away. Obviously, he's going to be a really fun guy to watch out on the fast break and in transition. So hopefully whoever drafts him is a team that likes to get out and run because that's where he's at his best. I, I think he's going to be a decent shooter. His mechanics are a little wonky. They aren't super consistent, but he has a ton of natural touch. That's not the case with Lonzo. I think that's where a lot of people are hung up with Lonzo on his jumper, and they're going to unfairly project that onto LaMelo. It's really not the same situation. LaMelo has a really soft touch and a whole lot of range, which is just not the case for Lonzo. Even though we saw Lonzo taking a bunch of deep threes at UCLA, it was never the same in terms of touch. And and he's got the interior game, the mid-range game, the floaters, all things Lonzo never had. So I do buy Ball as like someone with star-level upside. I think he's going to be a really 
a fun player to watch. He needs to work on the defense. He's really bad on defense. That's obviously, you know, he's he just needs to be better to to earn the label of the number one prospect. But as someone who believes he can be better, he has the tools as a six foot seven point guard. There's a lot to like. Good athlete. I think he'll get there. I think he figures it out. I think he's a hard worker. I buy it. I think he's my number one guy. I don't expect to change that as much as I like the two guys behind him on this list, Killian Hayes, Anthony Edwards, both really strong prospects. But Lamella's the guy I have number one, and I'm going to roll with him, presumably until draft night, barring any major changes. Fair enough. Fair enough. Those are all excellent points that you make about Ball, and you're right. And to be fair to Lonzo, he did. He has finally. I think he's finally figured out his three point shot this year. Uh, so I think that's for good sure. for him. I and like Lonzo. He's good. He's a good player. I I really like Lonzo. I think he went a little bit too high, but I think that was just Magic Johnson falling in love with him more than anything. Yeah. Um. I think that's I fine. Had him like seventh. Like looking back on it, that first spot. I think I kind of nailed it. I didn't have him at number two like everyone else. Oh, I didn't have him number two either. I didn't trust him. I and I, I'm so glad the Sixers didn't draft him because him and him and Ben would not have worked out. And I think I've already told you this, but I, I would have had, and I advocated this back before I was site expert at the Sixers since before either one of us, I think, were site experts at the Sixers since uh, before the 2017 draft. I think I. I was a strong proponent of not having, of actually going for Jason Tatum, even though it was clear the Celtics wanted him. I thought he would have been the ideal fit next to Ben and Joel. But um, not to get too sidetracked here, I think we should go ahead and move on. And I know that you read through my rankings of first-round picks in the past 10 years. So at 15th, and there's 15 picks in the draft, I have 15th, I have Arnett Moultrie. 13th, I have, 14th, I have Zaire Smith. 13th, I have Timothy Luau Cabra. 12th, I have Nikola Vucevic. 11th, I have Markel Foltz. 10th, I have Jaleel Okafor. 9th, I have Nerlens Noel. 8th, I have Forkan Korkmaz. 7th, I have Matisse Thibel. 6th, I have Evan Turner. 5th, I have Landry Shamit. Fourth, I have Marco Carter-Williams. Third, I have Dario Saric. Second, I have Ben Simmons. And first, I have Joel Embiid. Now, before I get into the, you know, before Chris goes and probably dissects my list a little bit, I need to make sure it's clear that there are two players that were omitted from this list. The first being... First being was, and Chris, you're going to have to help me with the enunciation because I butcher his name every time I try to say this, is Enzens Pasenics? Andres Pasenics. Thank you. And then Craig Brackens. Pasenics was excluded because the Sixers gave up his draft rights this past summer. He never came over, and then when he wanted to come over, Sixers were like, uh, we don't have the salary cap space to have you come onto the roster. You can go find a job elsewhere. So they gave up his draft picks. He actually signed a two-way con. He first was playing on the Wizards G League affiliate team, the uh, Capital City Go-Go. Uh, then he signed a two-way contract, and then he got that two-way contract converted into a regular, a regular contract this year with the Wizards. So congrats to him for that. But he's excluded because... He never played for the Sixers. And then Craig Brackens, even though he was a rookie on the Sixers roster, he was trade and he was traded before the season began, but he wasn't traded during the draft. So I'm not going to ex- include him in that in that process. So that being said, and and this rankings were only made on their their career as a member of the 76ers, not their whole entire career. If we did the whole entire career, this list would look completely different. But I figured because we're just ranking Sixers, uh, first-round picks, we're just going to rank their time with the Sixers. Yeah, I honestly didn't have a ton of complaints. I think there's a totally fair argument for where everyone is here. I think my main kind of nitpick is I don't quite know if I would have put Michael Carter-Williams at four 
Obviously, he had a really strong rookie season, and he won Rookie of the Year. So he deserves credit for that. He was really good that season. I think just based on length of time in Philly, you might bump Evan Turner up above him. You know, I think Matisse just projecting forward, which is kind of tough. He's probably going to have a better career than a lot of these guys in Philadelphia. We just don't know yet because he's a rookie. So so it's kind of tough to balance um, the forward-looking projections with what we actually have on paper with Matisse. Uh, but, yeah, I think those are the two guys who I would move up the most. Maybe Nerlens as well. I might bump him up over guys like Furkan and Andre, who wasn't here for very long. But, but overall, I didn't have a ton of complaints. I, I think just MCW was probably the one that stood out the most for me. So, yeah, the MCW ranking was particularly hard for me because I could have had him as low as ninth behind Noel and and fourth. And honestly, I could have had him as high as third. I, I could have talked myself into it. But as you said, the winning rookie of the year was probably the main thing that clinched it for me. Because you look at it, the rookie class, his rookie class, he had to go against, I guess, the two main players that he was competing against was Victor Oladipo and Tim Hardaway Jr. were the two rookies that I probably, and I would have to recheck the ballot. And I, I, but basically, I think those two were probably the closest players in terms of production that could probably challenge MCW that year. And MCW, and I believe he had a quadruple double in the first couple games or close to a quadruple double. I'm I'm not, I have to, I Mm -hmm. I would have to go. First five games of his career were very impressive in Philly. Um, I actually remember his rookie year because I went there for uh, my 21st birthday, I want to say, with my dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went there for my 21st birthday. It was the first loss that they went 3 and 0 in the first three games. We went to the fourth game and it was against the Golden State Warriors. And that was the beginning of the dynasty uh, with Andre Iguodala. So you can imagine how uh, that that went. They they lost obviously. <laughs> but, you know, MCW I'm not going to deny. He put up impressive stats, but they were empty calorie stats. And more importantly, his shooting percentages were terrible. And I touched on that in there. I, I acknowledge that. But at the same time, you know, he beat out players like Victor Oladipo, Tim Hardaway Jr., and Giannis Antetokounmpo. I believe there was a couple more rookies from that class. Let me double check here. So then you had, you know, he beat out those type of players along with Dennis Schroeder and CJ McCollum and Steven Adams. So, re- you know, it's not like... He- he had legit competition. Granted, not all, of, most, some of them were raw players, especially Giannis. But you know, are not mm-hmm. getting opportunities like CJ. But you know, it's it's hard to argue this the pure stats perspective of it. And it wasn't like it's not like Julio Okafor where he was horrendous defensively or bad off the court. You know, he was for outside of that little blip during the draft where he wasn't certain if he was going to be a member of the Sixers after, you know, the 2014 draft. I mean, during the 2014 draft, especially when they drafted uh, Alfred Payton, you know, outside of that, you know, he's been pretty, he was a pretty model citizen for the most part. And he was, he's still is and was a good defender. So that's why I had him that high for Matisse. You're right. He probably will end up being much higher in the future. And same thing can be said for Forkon as well. Mm-hmm. I think they both can be higher. I had Shamit there, and I I I miss Shamit, and I think the Sixers miss Shamit, and I think they miss what he brings to the table. Because if he was on the roster this year, I think a lot of the spacing issues would be fixed. Not all of them, but a lot of them. Yeah, if you could swap Horford out for Shamit and, and keep Shake as like the playmaker off the bench, I think that's a pretty ideal setup. It would be. Uh, so I so that's why I had Shamit so high, because and plus he was the heir. I think we all acknowledge he was the heir apparent to JJ. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think with knowing where we were projecting him to go, as well as where he was being a rookie, averaging eight points, shooting over forty percent from downtown, 
as a rookie being the 26th pick, which is a low first round pick. I think mm-hmm. the Sixers got great quality. And the fact that they flipped him into Tobias De- Harris as well, who is one of the best third wheels in the NBA. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think that's, that's why I had Shamit where he was. Noel, I could have argued to have Noel higher, but how things ended with him is, you know, where he was unhappy. Yeah. And the fact that we could only get two second round picks, uh, waived Andrew Bogut and getting Justin Anderson's, you know, tenacious defense for what a season and a half just didn't, didn't, didn't fly. So, yeah. So that's, that's, that's why I had him where he was and he did drop off defensively after his first season as well mm-hmm. yeah so, i think if you're taking into account trade value shame it at number five is, is totally fair so yeah and, and again i would have probably put nerland's there on tire i think he was pretty justified in being kind of bummed about his role as was jaleel they, they kind of got the, the short end of the stick there. I think that's more on Philly than it than it is on them. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I think you make a lot of fair points, and you could go a lot of different directions with this list. It, it's really hard to, to, to pin down a lot, of, a lot of these guys, so I, I think you did a really solid job, personally. Thank you. I appreciate that. The one player I'm surprised you didn't say anything about where he was placed was uh, Zaire Smith, because I know you're a big Zaire Smith fan. So, yeah. But I, I think, had him 14th just based off of production thus far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's kind of the same thing with Matisse, where it's kind of hard to balance what you think he'll become versus what he's shown so far. Mm-hmm. Because if, if we're projecting forward, I, I he probably surpasses... TLC, and I hope he does at least. That I mean, the Sixers should desperately hope that he does surpass TLC in terms of contributions to the franchise. But but we've only seen him for 13 games. He's been injured for a lot of his time with the team. He's been in the G League all season. So yeah, it's hard to put him put him higher than he is here, especially considering he was the 16th overall pick and someone the Sixers traded a fairly significant asset for in Mikael Bridges. So I think it's fair. I probably would have put him 13th or 14th as well. So, so yeah, you bring up TLC and I personally feel like the Sixers, because they shifted gear so fast for being a rebuilding up and coming team to contender that they gave up on him too quickly. Mm-hmm. Cause he's still proving to be a solid defender. Uh, in developing in offensively for the Nets. And the yeah. Nets are, so I, I feel like they gave up on him too soon, but I understand why they had to. Yeah, I think TLC was sort of in the same vein as Furkan before this season, where he just didn't really have enough of a role or enough of a chance to, to prove himself. He, he looked a lot better overseas as a prospect than he did in Philadelphia. He did a lot more offensively. That was really interesting to me as a draft evaluator that just didn't translate to uh, to Philly for whatever reason. I believe I had him in the lottery back when that draft was taking place. I was always... Yeah, I remember that. TLC, so I was, I was personally kind of bummed with how, how much he struggled. But yeah, I think he just... Philly just wasn't the right spot for him. He has shown a lot more in Brooklyn this season. He, he looks like someone who might be able to stick around for a bit longer than uh, maybe we expected. So that's good for him. Wish I think he lacks that quick like twitch good. offensive, that quick mm-hmm. twitch athleticism offensively to where that stuff in Europe didn't translate to here. And that's that's the reason why is because he's not that quick twitch athlete that you need to be on the perimeter. Yeah, I don't think he's quite as, as dynamic as as we thought he would be coming in, but he seems like, you know, a good, I say kid, he's probably a couple years older than me, but, you know, he seems like someone who can stick, so that that's good for him. It just wasn't the right place. So, uh, and I've already done an article about redrafting 2010 pick, which was only Evan Turner, but how do you feel about Evan Turner not making the top five here, and do you who would you have drafted in in his stead from that draft? And do you think 
he could be probably a better better backup point guard than what we have and you know with Neto right now. Yeah, I, I mean at this point in in their respective careers, I'd probably take Neto any day. I, I, I don't think Evan is that good anymore. He he didn't do much in Atlanta. He didn't really do much in Portland the season before either. So Neto's younger. Neto, Neto can shoot, and he's younger, and he's a bit more dynamic at this point. So I, I'd lean Neto in that situation. But uh, just based on the length of resume, I might have bumped Turner up a few spots, as I said earlier on your list, just because he, he was in Philly for a decent amount of time to uh, start his career. But obviously Paul George... Gordon Hayward, guys you mentioned in the article, are all better players. All would have been better picks. So that was definitely a miss in hindsight. But I've always appreciated E.T. as a player. He, he had some really good years there in the middle of his career. But, yeah, I mean, when you're drafted ahead of guys like Paul George and you don't pan out, that's always going to be something where you look back and you're, you're kind of disappointed if you're looking at it from Philadelphia's perspective. Most definitely. And, uh, you know, I look back at it. I don't think his best. He had his second best stint with the Sixers, but I think his best stint was with, with the Boston Celtics. For when sure. He was there. Yeah, I think he was averaging over around five assists then, and he was just, I thought he was in his element then. But, you know, obviously things change. And, but, you know, I think Evan Turner, you know, probably would have still been a lottery pick if we mm-hmm. redrafted that pick, draft. And I think actually, Bleacher Report did redraft that draft, and they had him 12th. I'd have to double-check that. But, um, yeah, he was yeah really, no, so really this, was a, this was a fun project for me to do. It was fun to do some history, especially on Moultrie, man. I learned a lot about Moultrie that I had totally forgotten or just didn't remember. So that was that was Yeah, and I really enjoyed reading it. Research. So I would recommend that everyone go to the site, check it out. It's still pretty high up on, on the front page. So just the sixersense.com is right there. Everyone go read check it. Out, yeah, check out Chris's big board too. It's a solid read, especially for draft content. It is good stuff. And if you want to have some nostalgia, uh, definitely read my article. I think uh, I think that just about wraps it up to here, Chris. So do you want to play us out? Thanks again, guys, for listening. We always appreciate it again we apologize as we did last week for the significant chunk of the season that we missed on the podcast but we are here to stay we are going to make this a weekly thing so we are excited to be back and we are excited to be giving you guys some regular audio content to consume you can follow lucas on twitter at lucas johnson nba you can follow me on twitter at klein nba and you can follow the website at Sixersense. and we will talk to you guys next week Stay safe. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.